Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. Today on episode number 85, we are speaking with Carrie Jackson, a highly successful mental performance coach certified through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. Carrie is also the co-author of the book Rebound, and she runs a coaching practice helping athletes and teams to dream big and accomplish goals. I asked Carrie to join the podcast to collect her insights into how to develop a mindset to help the older athlete continue to fight against the relentless gravity of aging, against that continual friction against forward progress. I asked Carrie, what does it look like, this mindset that prepares us for the inevitability of setbacks? And maybe even doesn't view setbacks as bad, but just as a normal thing, like a rainy day to use for some indoor training. And Carrie doesn't disappoint. So listen in as Carrie shares her favorite practices for helping the older athlete to build a habit of steadiness and resilience for keeping us in the game for a long time. We recorded this session in 2022, but I think it is particularly helpful now at the beginning of 2023 as we plan for a full year of athletic fun. And sorry about the quality of my voice, which was still on the mend from a wicked respiratory illness I received as a gift from my daughter. All right, let's talk to Carrie Jackson. Carrie Jackson, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Carrie, it's great to have you on board. All right. And Glenn, good to see you, buddy. Likewise. Good to be here. Okay. Well, Carrie, thank you for making some time for the older athlete. You are a certified mental performance consultant. You teach mental skills to athletes. I have to tell you, I've heard you on the internet now for a couple of years. And when I first heard you, I've stumbled on some presentation on YouTube and you said you were a mental performance consultant. I thought, oh my, what a load of crap that is. <laughs> I mean, really, it was like, who could be so pretentious? Yes. I and know, then I right? listened to your stuff and, and I thought, oh, <laughs> she knows some stuff. Huh. And then I tell you what, I tried it. Uh, yes, and it good. It worked. Yeah. It worked. I told my wife and she's tried it. And she's like, oh, are you talking to her? Yes, tell her it worked. Yes. And yes, so yes. you you know what you're talking about. I do. Um, that <laughs> is, is really great. I couldn't have been more wrong about that. And recently I heard something that made me laugh, and I'll repeat it here, that the great physicist Richard Feynman once said, it's important to have an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. And so <laughs> what I'm finding is that it's a tricky balance, this business of having an open mind, but not so open. And sometimes it's maybe not open enough. Um, anyway, I'm working on yes. it. Uh, but yes. welcome to our Thank podcast. You are also the co-author on a book, uh, Rebound, uh, a resource for injured athletes. And I, I think that it says on the front of the book that it's a, uh, it helps injured athletes train their minds to aid with their physical recovery, something like that. Yeah, train your mind to bounce back stronger from sports injury. Yeah, well, yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> that, that is essentially the topic that I told you I wanted to talk about. And that's mostly true, but not entirely. Uh, I kind of want to change it just a little bit. Uh, but before we get into our conversation today, tell us and our audience a bit about how did you get into this? I mean, because really, it, you know, if you're a good mental performance consultant and you have experience at it and a track record, then I can see that people would come to you for help. But how do you get started in something like this? Yeah, I um, so when I was in my undergrad program, I thought yeah. I wanted to be a therapist. So that was the track I was on. I knew I loved working with people and helping people. And I loved the brain and how the brain operates and was fascinated by it. But at the time, 
there was, it was before the time of positive psychology. So a lot of therapy had to do with working with illness versus looking into wellness. And so it, I also did a lot of outdoor leadership and experiential education. And so I was trying, I came from that world of trying to sort of optimize uh, leaders and, and, and then coming from this other world where we were working with, with illness, but I really wanted to work with the brain and behavior and mental health, but it wasn't making sense to me. And so literally as I was walking across the stage, getting my diploma, I decided, I don't think I'm supposed to be a therapist. Oh shit. <laughs> now what do I do? So I, like any good lost um, recent graduate, I moved to South Lake Tahoe to pursue my own sports. And so I was snowboarding and rock climbing and through those experiences started to see some of the psychology behind um, some of what was happening. One of which was my own injury and coming back from injury and really struggling and seeing the psychology behind that and just watching friends climb and watching different sort of things play out in terms of when people were confident and when they weren't, even though I knew they could do what was in front of them. and so. That was happening. And at the same time, my mom uh, was going to pursue her master's degree in counseling and she saw a brochure for sports psychology. She um, sent it to me and said, Hey, I saw this. I thought it was interesting. And I was like, What is this? Oh my gosh. And it just pulled I a had, thing. Yeah, I had no idea it existed. And I went to the next open house and then and signed up at the open. I was like, Okay, let's do this. And so, so before that, I had no idea it existed, but I knew, like, okay, this is, I want to be here. I have no idea where this is going or what I'm going to do with it, but this is, this is speaking to me more than anything else has. So that's, that's how I ended up where I am today. So it's a passion project. That's great. That's yeah. great. Put your heart and soul into it. I can tell. Yes. Well, fantastic. Okay. So for today, then, let me tell you what I really want to talk about. All right. And it does obviously have to do with uh, injured athletes. But more broadly, just the, the issues that older athletes have, whether it's injuries or illnesses or just life events that take them out of what they are, are doing for their fun, their athletics for their fun, but also for their health. And then how do they manage that? How do they come back? And then tricks of the trade, things you've learned that you, maybe your favorite ones that people have used to help them in this regard. So let me restate it then. Two things then. One is kind of like the strategy. And that would be like the mindset that I and Glenn and people like us can follow to help us fight this fight against the gravity of aging, this continual friction against forward progress, something that you know helps us to accept this inevitability of setbacks. Yeah, yeah. I always have pain and more often than not, I've got an injury of some sort or another, sometimes serious. I'm coming back from a quad tendon tear that took me out of everything for a while. You know, but otherwise it's, it's just, li you know, it's little things that, uh, you know, not, can't go to the gym for, you know, I'm going to have to miss this workout. Oh, I'm going to have to miss the next workout. You know, those kinds of things. And maybe the idea that you'll propose to us here and teach us how we might do this is to not even think about these setbacks as like bad things. They're just things that happen. And it's, you know, it's, it's like good weather and bad weather. It's just, you know, on the rainy days, you do indoor stuff. It's not bad. It's just different. And then the second thing would then be more practical, tactical, day-to-day -day stuff. Just um, things to think about or things to do that help us to be steady. 
to have resilience, uh, you know, rather than the theory of resilience, I mean, how do I, what are some things that I could do that really will help me to be resilient on a day by day basis? What do you think? Do you think that we can touch on these things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. I know that we're not going to be able to, in an hour here, get you to tell us everything you know. But if we can give people some, you know, a few things that they can walk away with that are useful to them right away, and then that we can also give them sort of knowledge of knowledge, maybe things they didn't know existed, and then now they know where to go find it, find more details about that, then I think we will have succeeded. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great topic. Great. All right. Well, so let's start then with this mindset thing. You know, I think that I don't even know if Glenn thinks about it this way. Uh, I re- I have just recently kind of come to the perspective that as an older athlete, I'm, I, I kind of fit the model of, of an elite athlete more than I ever did in that I get injured more often than I'd like to. And I lose fitness faster than I'd like to. And coming back from a, an injury to get back to where I was is harder than it used to be. And so, you know, all of that is true. And yet I I don't have the psychology to help me to deal with it. So what do you think? How how can we prepare ourselves for this sort of thing? Yeah, it's interesting. Over the years, I've, um, you know, with my athletes that are like in their 50s and 60s and 70s, I've heard time and again, independently from people like Carrie, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with the fact that all my PRs are behind me. Like, how do I wrap my head around this? Right. And it's a, it's challenging. And so what it call if you, you know, so one thing is like, Oh, if you're, you know, if you're privileged enough to call yourself an athlete for long enough, like these are things you're going to face. Right. So you're going to face the fact that like, if you're going to continue your athleticism, and part of your goal is lifelong fitness, you will come up against some of these things of like, oh my God, I get, you know, am I ever going to string together a a quote unquote normal training season again, where I'm not dealing with an injury and an injury, right? So what it calls on you to do really is to be fluid with a couple things. It calls on you to be fluid with how you are defining what it means to be an athlete. And it also calls on you to be fluid with how you are defining success and what it means to be Mm. successful, right? So we're, we, one of our tendencies is like, we keep trying to get back to what we were able to do before. Like, well, how do I get back to like, I just want to string together a great training season or how do I, you know, when at some point in the future, is there going to not be something that gets in the way of me being able to get my training in, in any given month or, you know, so we're, we're kind of like (laughs) looking for these magic times where everything's going to come together. And that's sort of a, a fantasy that we, it's, it's not, yeah. uh, it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, it does not work that way. So wishful thinking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, and wishing doesn't pr- actually produce anything. It turns out even, even though I keep doing it, like we can, yeah. all keep doing it. So it, um, and the reason it can be really challenging is because um, a lot of our idea, you know, if you are someone that is used to, like I am used to using my body the way that I want to. And that is how one of the ways that I experience the world. And now my body's not doing all of the things I wanted to do. It starts to, um, and you have a high athletic identity, a high identity in that part of your life. It's hard. It's like, wait a minute, but who, how do I orient my life? And who am I if I'm not able to do that the way that I was able to do it before? And if you continue like the, the brain, like, and the psychology keeps 
trying to gauge your feelings of success based on what you were able to do before, you're, you constantly feel like you're, you're failing or not living up to what you want it to look like. And then, and suddenly all the joy that you had in your sport isn't there anymore. Um, And so it really, that's a, for me and the work I do with, with my athletes when they're struggling with um, like being an aging athlete and this idea that like, Oh my God, all my peers are behind me. It's like, how do I, what does being an athlete mean to me now? And how do I find meaning in it now? And how do I redefine what success means to me now? Right. Yeah, so versus yeah. like what it looked like. Do you a year find ago. that your clients, some of them, the really twisted ones like me are embarrassed <laughs> when they get injured? Um, some, it depends. Like, that's a great question. I think it depends on, sometimes that depends on how, what, how they got injured. If it was something in their sport versus something that they feel like, um, could have been prevented or was something like so silly, you know, like, uh, somebody, um, I know one of my clients, they stepped, it wasn't in their sport and they just stepped off a curb. Uh-huh. And like rolled an ankle, <laughs> cracked it right. And it was like, what? Why? <laughs> so sometimes, yeah. So sometimes when it's it's something like that, or if you, or they feel like it was something that they did, there might be um, embarrassed. Might be one of the emotions that comes up. Sometimes anger. I see anger a lot, actually, more than yeah. than embarrassment. Okay. Sometimes in that situation. Well, go ahead and and, and elaborate. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, I no, mean, yeah. What is it that we can do? I mean, I I remember. In that first presentation that I heard of yours, one of the things that you had mentioned in that was that in order to really prepare for a major event, you should prepare for failure. You should prepare for, well, what happens if you get a flat tire? Or what happens if if, uh, you drop your water bottle? And think through what you do so that when those things do happen, if they happen, you know exactly what to do. You don't, yeah. you, don't, you don't have a chance to panic about it or worry about how it spoiled the whole thing and all the months of training have been for nothing because yeah. you don't have time to think about that. You just go right to the solution. Yes. And I wonder, is, it, is the answer to this bigger question the same sort of thing? To just be thinking in terms of, well, th- we know that this is going to happen. We know we're going to get an injury. Th- we shouldn't act surprised and stunned and, and not know what to do because... Of course we were going to get an injury. You know, we're, we're older and, and things aren't working as well as they did before. So we should have already figured out what we're going to do about that. Is it something like that? It's a, it's a little different with this. Like what you're talking about, I think I know, is there's some similarities and differences in what you're talking okay. about. Some of the... Um, similarities are that it can be helpful to think about like, well, what are the possibilities, right? What are the things that might hold me back from accomplishing my goal? What are those potential setbacks and how will I address it when they come up? Mm-hmm. Right. So there is, um, that can be a powerful exercise to do because it then when those things come up, it shortens your reaction time. So instead of spending time trying to figure out, Oh my God, what am I going to do? It's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I mapped this out already. I'm good. What's interesting about that process too, so say like I'm working with a client on um, like setting up their goals for the season or goals for anything really, and we map this out and we go through this whole program of like how to set up, uh, you know, set yourself up for um, successful goal setting and accomplishing your goal and we and then we identify what are the potential setbacks and we write all those down. Well, as everybody knows, you can't plan for every setback, right? But what you've done is you've primed the brain 
for resilience, right? So you've mm-hmm. primed because you've got you've mapped all these other things out. Then when the thing comes and you're like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like you've already primed the brain to accept and adjust, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what you're having to do is accept and adjust. Where with what you're talking about now, where it gets a little bit different between like, how do I do that for a goal? Or how do I do that for like, um, even a, um, a specific competition, like mm-hmm. identifying those potential obstacles? It gets a little more complex with the emotional roller coaster that comes with um, all of these things like your narrative and identity and injury. Like um, it's a it's a very emotionally complex landscape, and there's so many different things coming. Where sometimes that there's a longer um, tail, so to speak. There's a longer uh, process, transitional process that might happen with. Ex- with exploring some of these things of like, who, you know, how do I find meaning in my sport now when I'm not sure that I can be as competitive as I once was? Um, mm-hmm. So there can absolutely be value in thinking about that. And I even work, you know, I've worked with a lot of people on this path, but sometimes that transition takes a little bit longer and more mm-hmm. sort of um, in-depth work in order to get to a place where you're like, oh, I'm good now. Okay. I And part of it is like coming back to, well, why are you doing this in the first place? Why uh-huh. is it that you want to do what you're doing? And and really get under like, so there's this like surface why of like, oh, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I want to be able to, you know, I want to feel strong. I want to, you know, have energy. I want to be able to yeah. eat whatever I want, right? There's like these things on the surface, but when you dig down a little bit deeper and go, oh, well, why is that important to you? And you answer that and you go, oh, okay. And you identify that. And then you say, okay, well, why is that important to you? Now you're getting to like, this oh, is the meaning it has cause. in my life. Yeah. yeah. And, and are there still things I can do that connect with that meaning? Uh, because it, it's, you're, you're writing a new narrative f- for it so that you get reconnected with, oh, that's right. So my, some of the strategies might have to change but the why is still there and that's and and then accepting that the, the strategies might have to change in order to keep touching yeah. that why yeah if you know what the why is then there's more than one way to get at that exactly is what you're saying yeah that makes perfectly good sense uh, you know i mean my first answer might be oh well i want to be healthy i want to be a fit person and it's like well to maximize your longevity, you probably need to walk three miles a week. Okay. You're doing more than that. Yeah. Why? Right. So there's something more going on there. It's not just about my health. Exactly. Right. So, so what is that itch I'm trying to scratch and, and, and how can I scratch it even when I'm injured? And, you know, maybe at a, at a simple level, it's, well, you know, have a backup plan. Maybe, Riding your bike shouldn't be the only thing you're doing. Uh, maybe you should have other things that you do. Maybe it's good to spread the stress around the body, but also when you uh, when your knee is hurting, maybe it's good to get as much pleasure out of swimming laps as you <laughs> as you do, uh, you know, riding a hundred miles. And one of them is better for your knee <laughs> that is giving you trouble right now. Okay, so I, th- I think I'm I'm getting that. Uh, is there anything else that um, you think would be helpful to people? I think it, it just, um, it's okay to, uh, 
And there's another sort of layer in here too. So what you're talking about now reminds me of my injured athletes when, you know, say, so say I have a runner and, and, and people will say, well, well, at least you can see it, still swim. And like nothing makes a runner more angry than someone saying, at least you can still swim, right? Because what they want to do is run. So, so I think the other thing in this too is to, is to be okay like is to allow yourself to feel your feelings is to allow yourself to be bummed that you can't do the thing that you want to do that day and to be upset about that and grieve that because there's a a bit of like a grieving process sometimes that goes with some of these things where it's like oh man I really loved when I could do that and I'm not sure that's available to me anymore and you need to allow yourself to um, be sad about that right but so many of us yeah we like to push away the emotions that make us feel uncomfortable instead of like, ah, you know, it's once you allow that feeling state to happen and really honor that, that then you might be able to go, all right, let's check out swimming and see what this is all about. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I'm probably making enemies here as I talk. Uh, and probably if I talked less, I'd have less enemies. <laughs> but it, it seems to me that the people who are going to have the most challenge with this are the people who are for the first time bumping up against some barrier that pisses them off, that it's not fair, it's not right. Yeah. Other people yeah. don't have this problem, and I shouldn't have to either. But once you get through that, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here, and you're, you've been bumped off of your main thing, your first thing, and now you've got other things that are your backup plans, it's a lot less emotionally stressful to find that, ah, oh, well, I can't ride my bike today. What can I do? All right, I'm going to go do that. Yes. Um, because the bike was the backup plan anyway. <laughs> it's It wasn't my purpose in life. Right. So I'm okay. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to get a few drops and uh, points on my Zwift profile. <laughs> I can live with it. What I don't want to do is sit home and watch television. You know, I want to go do something. I want to, I want to use my body. I'm, you know, I like my body. I want my body to be strong. I like feeling strong. I like being athletic and not feeling fragile. And, and actually, I'm, uh, I spend my time, my exercise time, riding a bike and going to the gym and lifting weights. And I enjoy that. And, uh, and that's keeping me strong and fit. But you know what? It is not keeping me athletic. And it's because I, I think I'm missing the third thing, the thing that would be less predictable, more uncertain, and I've got to you know move sideways and and jump more and and things that um, uh, I just don't get uh, with the things that I'm doing. And so that, that's a that's another topic for that's where the pickleball day. comes in. I was just thinking <laughs> that. Nice, well done, Glenn. Yes, <laughs> yes. pickleball. That's what my wife wants to do. I think I am going to do that. I. I know that 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 says something about the phase of life that I'm in, but um, that's where I am. Pickleball is huge right now. Yeah, like I got turned on to pickleball from my younger cousin who, yes, so so pickleball is all the rage. Awesome. Well, all right. I'm going to the pickleball Olympics then. Nice, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but you're right. Like it makes like there is this I think sometimes when we struggle with this is some if we um, we sort of over personalize what's happening with like, oh, my God, why is this happening to me versus this is happening. And and that changes our ability to sort of 
it changes how we see the situation that's in front of us, whether we're in that, in that space of, um, so like one of the things I, you know, being an injured athlete many times over, um, in the beginning, one of the things I really struggled with is I had a, a pretty, I was, I felt very entitled to be able to use my body the way I wanted to, when I wanted to. Yeah. And one of the things that came out of my mouth a lot is like, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have time to be injured. This is very, and I would be very angry, right? And then I realized, like, oh my God, you're, you're, what you are is entitled. You feel entitled to be able to use your body the way you want to. And when you, you know, when that's something that you have, and it's, it's something that feeds you and that part, and you're not able to do that, it feels like, um, something big is missing um and so sometimes when something is sometimes anger is the emotion that comes in that situation but so to really look at like instead of it like oh my god why is this happening to me it's like it's not happening to you it's it's happening so what do we do about that and that helps us to come to a place of acceptance of what's happening versus when you say why is this happening to me you're you're fighting against what's happening versus like all right well this is what's in front of me now what do what do i want to do about this yeah well, nobody wants to lose something that's theirs. Yeah. They don't want it taken from them in particular. And, you know, and if you've always been able to just do whatever you wanted with your body and and never really had consequences, and then suddenly you do, it can take some adjustment to deal with that. I, I had to go through that. Glenn, what about you? Oh, yeah. It's like, I just, I, I keep racking it up to the idea that as we get older, we have to give up things. And so I try to give up as few things as possible. And, but then I realize there's time constraints, you know, there's act is physical ability constraints, you know, um, like the big one this year was, I mean, giving up the upright bike this year was real. I mean, I've been racing bikes for 40 some years and I couldn't ride my rice uh, bike after May of this year. I can, now I can get on it shortly. It's, it's, it feels so high compared to the trike. I'm like, I can't fall over. <laughs> if I fell over, But it's, it's just, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was like you said, I, I, be, I was angry. Like, why was it happening to me? It's like, you know, it's not happening to everyone else. But I'll tell you a really cool thing I was thinking about as we we're talking here is that, you know, it's why I really love masters racing because every five years you get a new lease on life. Sure. <laughs> you move yes, up a category. It's so true, right? Yeah, that's everybody right. loves Suddenly that. Suddenly you're the young one again. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great. Oh, that's, that's so awesome. I, I, that's why I really appreciate the masters type racing because of that, those five year groups. And it's hilarious because you have people you see every couple of years for, you know, as you go through the age groups. Uh, yeah. And they, all the Winkles here, and then they move up the next year. They're like, oh, good. They're like, all oh, right. Like, move up you know, four years later. Here he comes again. <laughs> right? Oh, it's so true. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that is something that I see my clients struggle with sometimes. Is um, And what's interesting is, so some of my clients that came into their athletic life later in life and ne- and then have some, like get injured or, or um, you know, something happens and they're not able to train, they, they feel pressed for time. They feel like, mm-hmm. oh, I just got here and I'm loving this and now I can't do it and this feels so unfair, right? Or just that like, so you're so right. It's like this, you know, thinking about like, the, you know, I there's a, some, some of my clients struggle with this like um, feeling like there's time pressure, right? Like I've got a clock and it's ticking and I need to, you know, I cannot be injured right now because my clock is already ticking. And so there can become pressure with that. Hmm. Well, it is true that there's only like so many races in a season and so many months in a year. And, and if you get injured at the wrong time, you miss the year. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I suppose people, I'm not there yet, but some people, maybe you're counting the years down and they're like, I've only got so many years left, you know, yep. I, I don't want to lose any of them. But still, this is just not something that's avoidable. So we have to figure out a way of adjusting the way we think to accommodate reality and, and not be miserable with yeah. reality because that, that just means being miserable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Part of it is yeah. like the conversations that we're having with ourselves and, and, um, and there's a few different things that, that are helpful, I think, in, in talking about things like this. And one is sort of identifying, well, what are the things that are in my control and what is out of my control? And so I'll have people actually like write out a list, like you just draw a line right down the middle of a piece of paper, have two big columns in my control, out of my control, and then sure. brainstorm. What are so all the things that are in my control when it comes to being able to be athletic and my, you know, whatever your sport is, and what are all the things that are out of my control? And what it does, what's interesting is everyone has a little bit a different experience when they do this. Like, I'll ha you know, you write those two things out and then look at your lists and go, okay, well, what do I notice? And it's interesting when I ask that question, what comes up for people? But oftentimes it might be like, oh, wow, there's a lot more in my control than I realized. <laughs> or, oh, man, I've been camped out in the out of control side. No wonder I am miserable. Like, I need to shift gears over to like, okay, so. So they're focusing on the stuff that they can't control. Yes, oh. very much. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you make that shift to, okay, so what's in my control and how can I focus on something that is in my control and that I do have some influence over? That makes perfectly good sense. Focusing on spending all your time thinking about the things you can do instead of yeah. thinking about the things you can't do. Yeah. 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 Which is something that we, it's, it's easy. Like as an injured athlete or an aging athlete, it's often, um, we do get hooked by thinking about all the things we can't do versus the things that we can. But what can we do? What can I do? And that is um, an important aspect, that locus of control, like f the feeling of whether or not you have any kind of influence over the circumstances of your life. That locus of control um, has is a very big factor when we are talking about resilience and being able to take life as it comes. So it's a big, that's a big, important skill to work on. I've heard that described as the difference between dead men's rules and live men's rules. And the <laughs> idea is that dead people can't do anything. True. <laughs> and, and you're going to have that one of these days. But while you are alive, but you can do things. Yes. Focus on what you can do. Yes. And a dead person can't do any of them. That's right. <laughs> well, that, that is really cool. I, you know, I tell you that, um, just my natural psychology is to be kind of a fighter. I mean, like my fears are of being afraid as opposed to, you know, of getting injured, which is why I get injured a lot. I've had too many bike crashes and all kinds of other things. But it, it, it seems to me that, that there's a reason to fight. So even though we need to focus on what we can control, as you're saying, and and, and deal with reality and find a way to be satisfied and happy with reality. I think that there's still a reason to fight. And that is because as a part of whatever this aging thing is, we are becoming less than we were unless we fight really hard. And maybe even if we do fight really hard, we're still going to decline some. Uh, but where we get big declines, and I've heard 
PhD level people argue that where most of the declines come from are events that knock you down, whether it's an injury or an illness and you do nothing for a while. Mm -hmm. And then when you come back, you've lost an important level of functionality and you don't get it back. And they say that this is like where sarcopenia comes from, from a series of being in bed from injury or illness. And the answer is to, first of all, well, avoid those things. So don't have those things if you can possibly do that. But, you know, some of that's not in our control. Right. But what can you do if you have an event that sets you back? What you can do, I want to argue, is you can fight back. You can claw your way back to where you were. If you get back as soon as possible, but not before, because you know you don't want to re-injure yourself or get sick again. But as soon as you can, get back and you got to work harder than you were working in order to get your fitness back to where it was before. What do you think of that? Is that a crazy notion? Part of it. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's some there's some really important sort of factors in there in terms of um, like uh, the drive and the determination and the belief and the hope and those are all all really critical for that process. I think the other thing I would add to that is um, it's also like one of the things I see people struggle with sometimes is when they get injured or when they you know life has called upon them to move in a different direction and they haven't been able to do their training. That there's this process of of coming back, right? That in that process, um, sometimes people feel like, uh, especially if you're injured, like that I'm not, I'm no longer an athlete if I can't do the thing, right? So, uh-huh. so you're also wanting to in that fight, you're wanting to apply your athletic mindset to the comeback, right? So now. All that energy and time and effort that was being put into your sport, you know, your whatever your sport is, your your cycling, your racing, your triathlon, your pickleball, right? Like all the energy that was going into that sport now has to get applied to your recovery and you're still an athlete. And so you're applying that athletic mindset to, and that's where that you can translate sort of that fight and doing it in a way that that you're coming back and able to make that transition back in in a way that's smart so that so that you don't end up re-injuring yourself right because if you do too much too soon which a lot of us will do yeah. because we so desperately want to get back yeah. um and we end up setting ourselves back even even further but to be like all right well what do i need to do to apply that like my recovery is now my sport or like okay i had to step away for a while i'm transitioning back in because the brain Right. And the, the athlete ego in us wants to go right back to where we left off. But the body, the aging body, no, guess what? You can't do that. Yeah. So we need to, it's hard to remember that, that, yeah. that there needs to be a ramp sometimes and that you'll get there. And, tr- and that's a big thing with like building your fitness back up to trust, like you're going to get there. You're going to have to work for it. And right now it kind of feels crappy, but you're going to get there and just trusting that yeah. like every day you're getting stronger. Yeah, and it might take longer than you want or yes. even longer than you can believe. Yeah. But if you yeah. stay with it, you can get it back. Yeah. I think that people have to have that hope. But yet, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, but be willing to accept that if they're only 99% or 90% of, of what they were before, 
that they can still be okay. They can, that can still be a good life. Yes. Yes. They don't have to, it doesn't have to go to zero because they can't get back all the way or they're miserable. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, um, really exploring, uh, who, who am I outside of my sport and knowing that that, that that person is also a beautiful, worthy person and that, that you're, that you're more than your sport, but it's, it's, and that's a hard thing when we have high athletic, athletic identity, like, oh, we just, um, I don't want to talk about who I am outside of my sport, Carrie. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so, but, but when you explore that sometimes it's like, oh no, I'm, I'm good in, in many areas. So what's interesting is that when you explore other parts of your identity, sometimes it actually will see performance and, um, it, uh, a positive impact to performance because there's less pressure on just this one part of you, especially because if you're, if you have a high athletic identity and a lot of your self-worth is wrapped up in that athletic identity and now you're facing either injury or um, you're aging and your body's not doing the same, recovering the same way that it did before. Um, and it's, it's not just a threat to your athletic life. It's a threat to your self-worth. That's yeah. where, um, why it's, you know, so important to really kind of look at who, you know, the, all the pieces of you, and this is one piece. I guess I'll admit that I have felt that, and I don't really know, but I have always felt like it must be true for everybody, but that my, myself as an athlete, that's just me. And I'm me, whether I'm at work or I'm on my bike or I'm with my family and so how I am as an athlete shows up with how I am at work and how I am at work shows up with how I am as an athlete. And there maybe are different angles, different variations, but the theme is all always there. And so sometimes I find that when I'm struggling in one area, I can think about what would I do in another part of my life mm-hmm. and find something there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's because you've got a nice balance too of that. And if there's one part and it doesn't even have to be sports, sometimes it's like work. I I have a a lot of my, um, I have a high work identity, right? A lot of my self-worth is wrapped up in what I do because I love it so much and I'm passionate about it. And so my work is to, is to make sure I'm balancing that out because then if things, whichever one is your high, right? Whether it's work or as an athlete or as a spouse or a parent, like whatever the, that highest one is when things aren't going well there, if it's really high in that area, then it feels like nothing's going well anywhere instead of like doing what you're talking about. We're like, Oh, okay, well, things are challenging here. What have I done in this other area that has been helpful? And like, you kind of build a bridge, but someone who has a really high identity in one area, your brain can't even think about building that bridge uh, because it's like, oh, this is falling apart. It means everything's falling apart. So really kind of balancing, um, balancing that out is, um, is important and looking at what else do I enjoy and what else gives my life meaning in addition to. That makes good sense. I guess the only thing I, I would add on there is, is that it seems to me that this struggle of staying athletic and, and, and finding good attitude for it but staying in the fight will make me a better person in general. And, and it'll bring value to all of the parts of my life, not just my athletics. Mm-hmm. 
Does that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah, That's how absolutely. I think of it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, we have a little bit of time left. I wonder if there isn't some of the, the second part, these tactics that we could get into. I found your podcast, by the way, and uh, it's really awesome. And we'll share what that is and how people can find it here at the end. You all have a good dialogue. And a lot of it is positive self-talk and being kind to yourself and not feeding the devil and, and, and things like that. And, and also making plans and making them very specific. And, and anyway, the, these tactical kinds of daily practices that I think would help me and Glenn and others to be more resilient. Um, maybe you've got, I mean, you've got a whole book that people could buy and, and read and learn a lot of what you have to offer, but maybe you've got a few favorites that you could share with us. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things to know about the way our brain operates is we still very much have this primal part of our brain and it's driving everything. Everything goes through that part of the brain first, the part that's like wired for survival. So because of that, we also have a negativity bias. What that means is our brains are really good at picking up on potential threats and seeing anything that could possibly have anything to do with, um, having a negative impact on our survival. And and so the challenge with that is now our stress response, when before the threat to survival was, was just physical, now there's also um, things that are perceived as a threat that are psychological threats, right? So mm-hmm. you feel some kind of threat and that same response kicks in even though there's no actual threat in front of you, but it's a, a worry about something that might happen, right? So, so because we have this negativity bias, we have to... St- learn how to stack the deck, meaning like we got to come in with some some tools and, and learn how to kind of hack the brain a little bit uh, to balance that out because of this negativity bias. So I think a lot of okay. times people think about like this idea of like, oh, I'll just go to your happy place. And if you just think some positive thoughts, everything will come true in your life and like all your dreams will come true. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. But there, it is helpful to stack the deck because of the fact that this is how our brains work like this focus on things I can't do as opposed to things that I can, but but how do we stack the deck? Yes. So that's one, right? Like paying attention to like kind of reframing things in your mind of like, well, what can I do? Like, you know, and asking yourself that. Another one is um, that I I call it, put me in coach. So this one is when you have that internal dialogue with yourself. So we're always, our brains like to narrate and there's always, um, you know, our, we're constantly, we have this internal chatter that's going on. And so one of the ways that we can utilize that is by um, coaching yourself. And so, so you're talking to yourself as if you're hearing it through somebody else's voice. So you're going to use the, when you're coaching yourself, you're using you instead of I and using your name. So if you're, you know, you're struggling through a workout or you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to even get in my workout today that you're talking to yourself in that way. Are you like, Carrie, you know what? You've had an amazing training week. You might not be able to get to it today, but you're going to be fine and you'll get at it tomorrow and you're doing great, right? So it's um, the way we take in information when it, we use you and your name is different than it creates psychological distance. So when you do that, you can see it from a different perspective. Wow. So sometimes that's a really helpful way to get through something. So I like that. That's one of my favorite, like, if you haven't tried that, like really experiment with this. It's very, very powerful. There's some really interesting research on that too. 
You know, I heard you say something like this in one of your podcasts. Yeah. Let me mention it. You can elaborate on it if you think it's another one, because it's very similar to that. And it stuck with me because when I first heard you mention it, I thought, oh, that's crap. <laughs> but, you know, just like, you know, I'm trying to keep my brain falling out. But <laughs> but I kept thinking about it. And, and it finally, my mind went, oh, I get it. That could work. And it was this. It was writing your injury or but it could be anything write yes, yes. a letter to whatever the problem is and then have the problem write you a letter back <laughs> like and it and it's sort of like this thing you're just describing where it creates a separation yes. to eliminate the emotional um confusion or the confusion that the emotion might bring to it you know i suppose it it forces you to sort of be honest and write the letter, you know, as honestly as you could, and then try to be have the other perspective and write it as honestly yeah. as you could. Anyway, if you could describe that yeah. a little more, I could just see how that can really make a difference. Yes, yeah. And that is a tool that helps with that exact same thing of the psychological distance. And so... Um, so it's funny, during, I went to PT today, my physical therapist and I, and, and she, it was someone I saw for the first time because my regular person's gone. And, and so I, I said something about like, oh, she's angry today, talking about my, my arm, my shoulder. <laughs> and, and she kind of giggled and she liked that. And, um, and I explained a little bit about what I do and why I called her she, because her name's Peggy Sue, right? My injury. So when you write this letter, what you're doing is you're you're personifying the the injury, and you could do this with other. You're absolutely right. You can do this with other things too. So now I'm instead of I told her instead of like this is my good shoulder, this is my bad shoulder. This is Peggy Sue, and she's a little bit irritated today. So the way I relate to my injury is very different when I'm talking about Peggy Sue versus when I'm in that place of um, really like. Um, the over-personalizing it like, and just the, the um, connection to this part of my body that isn't working the way that I want it to and it's pissing me off, right? So it's a different, I can have compassion for yeah. Peggy Sue that's a little irritated versus anger at, I want to use my shoulder and I'm so over this, right? So, so the, the part of the power in that letter is personifying the thing. Right. And so um, and then writing a letter to that person. So now I'm, I'm writing this letter. So you do some of my this is an interesting one because some of my athletes are like, Carrie, I am not going to do that. <laughs> like, just, very concrete thinkers. These are like my like my engineers. It, like they're just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to. And so then we'll let you we might modify it a little bit. But but if, if you can do if it's something that you're that you can do or if you're like, I don't know, I really encourage you to try it because this is one where oftentimes like my biggest skeptics end up being my biggest fans. Right. <laughs> where they're like, oh, my God, I was really surprised yeah. at what I got out of that. And people often are surprised. So so you write this letter and and you know um and in the book i kind of have some prompts of things you can ask yourself like you know as you're writing the letter and you're writing to this person about how you're feeling about the situation what you're thinking about it any questions you have and then signed and you know sign it and then the per you know peggy sue writes a letter back and responds to your letter so it's you know and so you it really calls on you to like don't overthink it to just put pen to paper and let it come and just see what comes. And people are often really surprised at what comes from these these letters because it allows you to view it 
through a different, a totally different lens, which can be very helpful. Um, And again, it creates that psychological distance so that you can do that. So you can separate yourself a little bit and go, okay, when I look through this lens, how do I see this? And do I see solutions that I couldn't see before because I was too close to it? Yeah. So what else? With the little bit of time we have left, uh, other things that you think are useful for building daily resilience? Yeah. Another one is, um, there's a couple. One is um, writing out affirmations. So that's another one that people feel like, oh my God, that's so touchy-feely. I don't want to write because I'm good enough, because I'm smart enough. So some of you probably know who I'm talking about, Stuart Smalley, right? Like, So that's like the thought we have when we think of affirmations sometimes. But, But because of the whole negativity bias and this idea of stacking the deck, it can be very helpful to have that list of, so I have, you know, in all different circumstances, like you might have a list of affirmations you use before an event. You might have one before you go in to meet with your surgeon to talk about surgery. Like, so for different circumstances, like what do you need to hear in that moment in order to feel confident, to feel focused, to feel hopeful, to feel the way that you want to feel? And affirmations, they often start with I am, um, but they're powerful, positive statements stated as if it is already true. Like, I am ready for this event. I'm excited to be here. Um, I've done my training. I trust my training. Like, just things that you need to, that you need to hear in that moment. Because if you are nervous, let's say you're nervous before your event and you've elicited your stress response, your brain's not able to connect to the, you can't connect to the rational part of your brain because it's being overridden by that primal part of your brain. But you can still read a piece of paper and you can read these prompts that let you know, oh, that's right, I'm these things too right now. I just needed a reminder. So doing, it's totally worth the work of doing affirmations. And another daily practice that I have is meditation. And so, and this, this is what, this is another one where people are like, oh my God, please don't make me sit still for 30 minutes. Like it doesn't have to look like that. Like, like this morning, for example, I did six minutes with my dog scratching at my bedroom door. <laughs> like, you know, so it doesn't have to look a certain way or it can be a walking, med- but, but to have a, um, a daily practice where you take the opportunity to hit the pause button and quiet your mind helps to, it's a tool that you then can take into the rest of your day to you know, how do I, how do I not attach myself to outcomes? How do I take things as they come? So having a, a daily practice, I have a couple, I think I've got a couple blog posts on it too. If like, this is something new or you're like, ah, don't, please don't make me meditate. Like check those out. So if it's intrigued you at all, like, well now, gosh, there's like amazing apps out there. So you don't even have to do like traditional quote unquote meditation. You can do a guided meditation if you're, if that's something that is, is speaks more to you. So there's, there's so many tools out there now for, for that, but it's definitely something that um, if you do it consistently pays off in dividends. Huh. I want to ask you about the meditation. Uh, I mean, you hear about it all the time for all kinds of reasons. I have intended to do meditation really seriously. I have intended to for about 20 years. And one of these days, I really am going to. But it seems to me that it doesn't have to, I say this to me and to people like me who really struggle with, what is the value of thinking about nothing? Yes, yes. And I think I have zeroed in on how it would be valuable to me, even though I haven't, I I have done it, I've dabbled, I do it like once every five years and then say, I'm going to do this every day. And then five years goes by. (laughs) But the notion is, it gets back to this control comes in the space 
between the thing that you react to, whatever that is, the input, and your reaction to it. And the space between yes. the two is yes. your control. Yeah. And anyway, so there's a better way of saying that and a person who's famous for having <laughs> said it, and uh, none of which I it recall fully. But the idea, yes. I think, is there. And I think what I would want to get out of meditation when I ever get around to really focusing on it is to work on that. And the, and the reason is that what I do when I am focusing on meditation is I am constantly having thoughts come into my mind and then I have to dismiss them without reacting to them. And so, yeah, maybe if I did it a lot, I'd get better at not having thoughts. But I think that the better thing to learn is to have thoughts and to not react yes, yeah. to them. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of people make that assumption, right? Like that the goal is to not think when that's not not only is that not necessarily the goal, that's not really possible, right? So it is exactly that. It's like, how do I create space between the thought that I'm having and the reaction so that I can respond instead of react, so that I can allow things to unfold? So it's really a tool for mindfulness, which um, is important in all areas of life, including sport performance, like cultivating the ability. So that's what that means. That yeah, like how can I be in the moment okay. and accept the moment as it comes? Um, and you know, because so often our brain and our feet aren't in the same place at the same time. Like our brains really like to time travel, mm. like into the past or into the future. So to, in order to be in the present, that asks us to um, cultivate the skill of mindfulness. And so meditation is a tool for cultivating the skill of mindfulness, right? So so it's not even necessarily meditation is the end goal. It's what it can do for us in our daily life. That is why it's such a powerful tool. And so, so you know, letting go of the thought that it's supposed to feel blissful every time you do it. it does not feel blissful every time I do it. <laughs> you know, there are times where I have a very busy mind and it's like, oh my God, like, or I'm, you know, I'm just meditating for five minutes and it feels like five years, right? It doesn't always, but then there are those moments, there are those times because you've done it, you know, you've practiced, you're building the skill where it's like, wow, that was amazing. Like you can get that too, but that's not even necessarily the goal, right? It is to be able to create exactly what you're saying, like create that space between so that as things come in your day, at you in your day, that it's, you're lessening the reactivity, right? That you're, you're recognizing, you're labeling that like, oh, okay, let's look at that. Hmm. I'm going to take that in and see how do I want to respond instead of that immediate reaction. Right. Okay. Well, cool. Sorry for interrupting there. No, not awesome. at all. Well, we are getting close to our hour and, uh, and you've been generous with your time. And so I'm, I'm going to uh, start to wrap this up and just ask you, you know, is there anything else that I didn't think to ask you about that you think, you know, the older athlete really would benefit from knowing and then be sure to tell us how we can find you online, your podcast, your website, your book, yeah, I think um, maybe the, the last thing to take into consideration is making sure that as you're working toward, you know, making sure that you're really defining what your goals are um, and what they are now, because our, we are going to gauge our feelings of success based on the goals that we set. So if we're not deliberately setting those goals, it 
it's it has a very significant impact on us. So you really want to think about like, well, what a, you know, what a, what's speaking to me now? What's providing meaning for me right now in my sport? And and do I need to redefine my goals so that I can redefine success? And then making sure that you're celebrating those accomplishments too. So um, it's a big thing with my injured athletes too, which is you know sometimes they have a hard time celebrating those milestones. Where, right, where it's like, the little yes, things. yeah, and that they are worthy of celebrating. And the reason that's so important is because when you don't do that, when you don't celebrate, like, I trained, I trained my ass off, I went to this event, it didn't play out exactly as I did, but I got to the start line, you know, so you're, you're broadening your definition of success when you allow the event to be the celebration and the party of all the hard work. So oftentimes we put so much pressure on event day that we don't enjoy it. And if you're putting that much time and money and effort into your sport, you deserve to enjoy the party, right? So to think of it that, like to allow yourself to celebrate that, because when you don't celebrate it and you just go, okay, what's next? We don't internalize those feelings of confidence that come with that recognition of the hard work and the effort. That sounds really important. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 So I have all kinds of amazing tools. Like I have a great blog where there's all kinds of mental training tips. You can head to my website. It's um, www.carriejackson.com. And um, I also have a mental training membership there. If you're into this stuff and you like, you know, I think a, a big job of mine is to be a translator of here's all the research in theory, but I'm going to put it into an actual tool that you can do something with. Right. So there's all these great tools um, that we get to go over in the in the I call it Rebound Lifestyle, um, which is the name of the last chapter in the book Rebound. So I've got um, we also have the podcast, the Injured Athletes Club podcast, um, which we're getting ready to launch season five of. So I've got all kinds of amazing um, tools uh, and resources over on my website. Fantastic. Well, awesome. Carrie, thank you again. This is not just been educational, it's been fun. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Great stuff, Carrie. Really appreciate it. I know our, our guests are going to love it as well, too. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks again. Hey, everybody, have a good evening. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Carrie Jackson. You can find more information about Carrie, her website, and her book in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitnesses practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.